Welcome to Heart of the Enneagram. I'm Chris Copeland. And I'm Sandra Smith. And we invite you to take a courageous and loving look at what is. How do you know what is best here? And what I found at Bedrock is that I believe that there is a God. There is a good, creative, life-giving force in the universe. And my job is to stay as connected to that as I can. Sandra, why don't you start and then I'll respond and then um, go, go into elder wisdom. Yeah, okay. Chris, hi there. It's good to be with you once again in elder wisdom season. That's right. Thanks, Sandra. Yeah, in season five, uh, we are uh, together to listen to some amazing folks reflect on their wisdom about life, about spirituality, about how the Enneagram intersects with all of that. Um, so I'm excited to be with you and to do this season together. Me too, Chris. Um, today, uh, speaking to us about all of that is our guest, Sandra Maitri. And Sandra, we're so happy that you're with us. So thank you for your yes and joining us. And Sandra has been a diamond heart approach teacher for 30 years. She leads groups in San Francisco Bay Area and in the United Kingdom and has a private practice in Marin County, California. In the early 70s, Sandra learned the Enneagram as a student of Claudio Narano, MD, and his original SAT group in Berkeley and was in that group along with Hamid Ali, whose pen name is A.H. Almas, and he's the founder of the Diamond Approach. Sandra has studied with various Eastern and Western spiritual and psychological teachers, focusing especially on insight in Tibetan Buddhist meditation. She's the author of two books, The Spiritual Dimensions of the Enneagram, Nine Faces of the Soul, and The Enneagram of Passions and Virtues, Finding the Way Home. In her spare time, thank you. It's nice to join you by Zoom. Your presence and your wisdom in each session I've had with you. So thank you for that. So as we begin our interview, I'm going to invite each of us, uh, our listeners, and also the three of us who are here together, um, to take a moment. To become present and one way we talk about that as we do these podcasts is is have a curious mind as we engage this material can we be curious about what's coming have an open-heartedness and grounding our body and our presence in this moment so as we do that let's take a breath curious mind open heart grounded presence thank you for that chris Well, Sandra, given your studies in Eastern and Western spiritualities and psychologies, um, I wonder if you have any insights or wisdom to share about the context in which we find ourselves today 
in this year of 2020. Well, 20 or 30 years ago, when I country. came across the Enneagram, um, there was any cycles a woman, Janine Weisman, who was leading uh, ways of looking at it as a triangle. So I took a workshop and I bought some books and I started trying to figure out what my type was. And I became convinced, like many white women in the South, that I was a two. And so I proceeded reading about two and being nice to people and saying, okay, probably, you know, I lead this organization where we get people together and try to get them to talk and think deeply and write and change the world. I'm probably a hostess kind of two person. So then one time Janine invited me to be on a panel of twos. There were three of us on a low rise stage in a fellowship hall of some church. And I listened to these other two, I think they were both women, these other two people talking about being a two. And it was like, oh my God, get me out of here. I am nothing like these people. Then with the help of uh, Janine and some other people, we moved me over to the category that I think is the catch-all for people who can't find themselves on the Enneagram, which is six. But I am a, a leader of a nonprofit organization. Uh, the first time I spoke in public, uh, preached in public, it was at Duke University Chapel. I don't mind being interviewed on television. So then we had to decide that I was a counterphobic six because although I, my personality is organized, around being afraid, I move towards the things I'm afraid of. I've even married some people I was afraid of. Um, what occurs to me first is that when I was a child, uh, let's see, I'm picturing myself in a house we moved into when I was three or four and moved out of when I was about eight. So, so I was young, elementary school age. Um, I slept with the light on in my bedroom. I would not go to sleep with the light turned off. And my best friend would come over to, sp to spend the night and she had to sleep in a completely dark room. That was her practice. And so, my mother would have to put her in another bedroom in a guest room and sometimes actually put extra towels around the curtain so that Sally yes. could go to sleep. Lately, the word, um, I've heard and the word I apocalypse. I was never left alone in the house in the until I that it probably was in high school because I wouldn't have it. And it just and feels like there's been the recently, great uncovering. In 2018, of when my mother fell and broke her hip and was and in a nursing facility and died, for who we are. I had to stay in her and, it's hard. and my stepfather was already uh, dead. I had to stay in her house alone hmm. for. Hmm. Many nights, people came to visit um, me and Sandra, stayed, but um, I was there many when, nights by myself. Uh, and other Sandra, I was there my co host Sandra, every single uh, night. Uh, introduced um, you. She, she pointed to you learning years ago, learned to say to myself, Now we've checked all the windows and the doors, and, there's nothing um, wrong. You're I'm just curious scaring to know, yourself. Um, Go to sleep. 
what that but was I like for you in particular as somebody who so identifies as type it has two. How been did you with me first learn about uh, yourself? All of my what life. were clues that um, you led with two? What I have some a friend in Asheville who is a seven, like for you? who loves to go on adventures of any kind. And I, a couple of years ago, I was up in Asheville visiting her and we were getting ready to go for a walk. And I was saying, hang on a minute, I got to get my hat, I got to get my water. And, 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 and she started laughing and saying, there goes the six, you know, always afraid you're going to get stuck in the middle of the Sahara, Sahara Desert in Asheville and not have water. I am risk averse in, in that way. Um, one of my partners along the way used to get so aggravated and say, can't we just go? You have to get all this junk together. Well, yes, I had a lot of help with that as a child also. I went to a summer camp uh, in the Ozarks uh, in Missouri. And um, as a 12 or 13 year old, they would take me to um, on little trips and we would come to a place with a high cliff and a deep pool and they would say jump and I would jump. And um, I was coordinated as a child and was pretty good at gymnastics and diving. And there was a diving coach as I recall from the University of Indiana, where they had a fabulous program, who taught me to do two and a half somersaults off of the high board and inverted uh, dives off of the high board. She always started me out in a sweatshirt so that if I splatted on my chest or my back, it wouldn't hurt quite so much. So um, with, I guess, with support, I've been willing to take risks. Another thing I've already mentioned is this experience of preaching in Duke Chapel. So I would have been 26 years old out of divinity school for about three weeks. And I had applied to be the student preacher at Duke Chapel that year and I didn't get selected, but my friend Helen Crotwell was the associate minister. So she put me on the schedule for one of those Sundays right after graduation when hardly anybody's around anyway. But so I, I said, yes, that was great. I wanted to do that. And I sat in, a, in the chair behind the pulpit and I was so terrorized by the, because there were a lot of people uh, present. And I was so nervous that uh, even though I had been over the sermon many times and had checked it out with other people and had practiced it, that I was so scared I thought I was going to pee on the floor. So I sat there holding my feet up off the floor because it's very hard to pee if you do that for the whole first part of the service, just, just as scared as, a, as I know how to be. And then I got up in the pulpit and I connected with people <laughs> and it was I went right on. So, but that experience of being absolutely <laughs> terrified and then doing it anyway is one that has accompanied me through my life. In the last 20 or 30 years, I've been writing a lot more than I did when I was younger. I don't spell perfectly, so I'm a math ma I was a math major, but I found my way into the humanities through theology, and I've been writing memoir. And, um, and I almost every time I start writing, I think it's, it scares me. I don't, I'm not going to have anything to say. Every year of college, I remember thinking to myself, I can't do this. And then I would just go on and do it. So the book that I wrote on what writing, as Chris said, is called Just Keep Going. And I think that's one of the lessons I've learned from, being, from experiencing so much fear is that it's a feeling or a thought. 
it's not a bear standing in the window, you know, trying to break into my cabin in the woods if I were there. It's been interesting the way this has played out during the pandemic, for, in for instance, for me, which is that um, the, the fear that someone I love, someone around me, or that everyone is going to get the virus was up for me for months. And I kept wondering, hoping something would normalize so I didn't feel that level of fear every day, that somehow we would get used to this new reality and it took a, it's taken about nearly three months for me to stop waking up in the morning and having the first thing i think is oh dear what's going to happen who's going to um who's going to suffer mm. and um but hoping that that was just fear speaking over and over again and i would every day i would look for moments when i wasn't thinking about that how scared i was of the pandemic and spent a lot of time talking to people who had very strict practices about not going out and wearing masks and reading things that encouraged us to think that if we followed certain hygiene practices, we wouldn't get the virus. I've noticed again during this pandemic that I feel best when I have been with one of the groups that I'm a part of. And it's that walking through and it so that would be then the For instance, this week I will be part of a yoga group on Zoom, mm. so um, beautiful. a reading group on Zoom, um, a discussion group on Zoom, a research center class on Zoom. And particularly when I'm with people I've known for a long time, uh, there's a kind of reassurance. I feel that in person also. I know on Wednesdays after my yoga group, I always feel better, not just from stretching, but just, but also from being with these people whom I love and trust. Mm -hmm. I have taught this system for I 20 grew years up, and sometimes um, going I to a Presbyterian church in Tulsa, um, Oklahoma. Stymied or frustrated. I'm from when say, about what 500 years of Presbyterians on one side of my and, family, you know, and so they were the ones that had a hold of me and taught but it's me right what here. religion it's how was. How do I deepen like myself? My mother's, I have a mother's mothers, and their people. But, but it's almost um, like the rest of my relatives are Baptists. We just want to learn more. And but so I had a good experience yes, in the 50s and 60s in a local church in Oklahoma and was lucky to have a minister who had studied some spiritual psychology. practices, psychological practices. And what so been like he was you? really interested when I got into junior high and high school in letting young people ask questions and write our own prayers and really try to own some of the faith that was being handed to us. And then when I went to college, I had a chaplain who was also Presbyterian, the college was not, who was very involved in the anti-war and anti-nuclear um, 
political organizing. He didn't make a big deal about it. Mm. So the intersecting of religion and politics happened for me uh, in 1969 and 70 and 71, when the student mm. uprisings around the war in Vietnam were going on, and the religious leader at my college was involved. I mean, he was getting himself, he was in sit-ins and getting himself arrested. He didn't talk a lot about that. Um, he was also involved in um, abortion rights activity that I knew nothing about at the time, but that's who was around to lead Bible studies and to preach. And um, so I, I got it about religion and politics. When I was in college, there was one year where I did religion almost full time. I went to church on Sunday. I was in a small women's prayer group. I went, I tried out Campus Crusade and InterVarsity, which turned out to be too conservative for me. I went to Episcopal Church midweek communion services. I was just doing religion all the time, trying to, I think, find a place where um, I could make meaning, which was the rallying cry for my generation. We wanted everything. I recently to had a conversation with so, a friend. So um, after college, I moved practice. to Durham because of a, a good friend and also a boyfriend. And we were, were in a conversation with and I people did other things for a year, and then I applied to graduate politics, school, and, and I applied to law school, and, and she just got very reactive, and most of us do these days, but she just really and moved my into my college chaplain had wanted me to go to Yale, she just said, wow, but gosh, they sort of messed up so my housing, and so that was out of the running, and I decided to stay at Duke. And so I appreciate when I entered the Divinity School at Duke in 1974, there were about 33, 34 women in a class of 120. And at that point, my spiritual development and my feminist development um, um, were Sandra velcroed Smith, I'm together. I'm a little bit of feedback because on your, I had a faculty just, and a male student shirt. body to educate about women. And I went through divinity <laughs> school asking the same question in every class. Raise my hand question. and I'd say, we "Well, that's really interesting." But what about women? Go into that more. We've got other questions. That's really interesting about Martin Luther. But what about the woman he was married to, who was actually raising all the money and feeding all the people he was teaching? You know, what about the women? And uh, while there, we developed the inclusive language worship for listeners who know the and tried well, different forms, got together informally and you know, tried what to that talk about what our deepest images that of God that might be. Question, or uh, if you don't try to do fit into whatever your denomination is, what really functions well, let's, inside let's, of you? Let's a have mountain, a start. A bear, here. a mother, a just friend, a lover. A river, so let me a just cloud. Now ask you know? the question, and we'll start. So the, I we'll start spent three years again, at right. Duke, really kind of searching around inside myself. So Sandra, for part of the teaching in the Enneagram are the harmony things that rang we actually have true for me. Inner triangles and I spent one whole summer at Grailville on a feminist theological program and then seminary quarterly triads where I met people like Nell Morton, who was a great seven mentor and, and writer as a taught and I'm just curious about how Mary Hunt who how you formed understand the that triad with theology ethics and ritual um, and what, what you've learned about your own and we had great resource people and we were there for like five or six weeks and at the end we created a booklet about our time together at Grailville and the title of the booklet was there is no road ahead we make the road as we go and so that's what I spent the next 40 plus years doing is making a road um, for my work, for 
people trying to find an authentic spiritual practice for people trying to be in lead, for women trying to be in leadership in various denominations and so my spiritual development and my work life have gone along together ever since about 1974. Um, one of the times in my life when I had to find the bedrock was when my first marriage ended suddenly. Hmm. Um, my then husband said, essentially, it's hmm. over. And hmm. I felt like I'd been dropped on the ground. As it turned out, that was a very good thing. But at, in the moment, it took me almost two years to believe that that was the right path. Um, I just let myself sink. Um, I read Job a lot, mm -hmm. the book Thank of Job, and said call. to myself, mm -hmm. who are you? How yeah, do you know? I was thinking that the Enneagram has been such a core part of here. your calling and your vocation. And part of what I found what I wonder is, like, what led you to write is that the I believe that, that there what is sort of the a process God. And there is that, a good, creative, life-giving force in the universe. And my job is to stay as connected to that as I can. I <clears throat> access that I access that life force most often mm -hmm. in silence or in the presence of other people that I trust. Mm -hmm. um, I know that that life force wells up in me, and as we've just been talking about, I discover it in the moment when um, chatting with a, a friend in distress, yeah. the right sort of words will just come. I find it at the bottom of the fear when I remember to remember there is a God. We are not in this alone. And I think I have learned in part from Enneagram work that silence is good for all of us and that stopping the chatter and i mean the outside chatter stopping the news mm -hmm. stopping the doing and just letting myself sink into the moment is a little scary but it's also often the most reassuring thing i can do Yeah, thank you.
Mm. Again, during the pandemic, yeah, I, I will give one, I this think. example. There are two things that were most helpful to me when the fear when was up. When the spiritual dimensions of came out, I got a copy and I read it. I was part and of I got to my chapter, of course. And when, the, when, the when I look at it now, there are all these the question marks besides certain were ideas. an Enneagram workshop that Sandra led. Don't think so. Which was very helpful. When I and then I would go back, you know, six months later the next year and read it. I don't have to think the fear is real. That is true. Okay, God, idea or thought. And after about three years and, of going back um, and going back, a workshop oh that is most at least often, most often. Um, it was just so helpful. The information me. is used with people who have PTSD. Yeah. It's a good uh, book discussion and group. It's the a good one to practices people, that the leader offered. It's a, were I did a course at Wake Forest University School of Divinity where I taught for a number of years uh, on the spirituality of the Indian And we use that book, your first book. Or beautiful. And, uh, it's always so wonderful because so many students come in. Wanting to, to as you say, delve deeper central into nervous the type, system. right? And sort of just help me understand Relax this type even more. And so those and your two book things really, together so were we start very off doing a little bit of that, right? And made me and then this feel book, your book really kind of just like the, like I the am screeching the sound of a needle on a record. A <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, it's like, you know, it's like oh no, there's there's something else here. You know, this is the and I this need is to be kind to it and look so after it I'm grateful for and your, getting uh, it all excited. I mean, we know this with toddlers. You can't students. just feed them sugar and get them excited and then expect them to function well. To overstimulate my central nervous system is constantly is Thank not you. a good idea, which is one of the reasons that we say to one another in these days, you just have to stop listening to the news and reading the news for a little while. You just have to let yourself rest. So, um, those have been really helpful practices to me. That have those negative exemplars put out there more often than others. And uh, yeah, thank you for saying that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'll look forward to the rest of I feel proud of her. The way you know, if you had an hour to spend with your 25 year old an adult self, child, what would you tell her? Um, given where you I'm are today, looking back, I might say, sweetheart, you have some relational issues, some primary partner issues to work out, and that's going to be kind of hard on you. So get yourself. A good therapist but just keep Beautiful. doing what you're doing I think I would say to my 25 year old self follow your instincts you're lucky you got pretty good ones and just wow step out wow. and do things uh, so I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I graduated from um, I'm 69. I graduated from high school in 1969. I went to a 50th year reunion last year. Uh, we're already wor working on my 50th college reunion. So I'm thinking about myself when I was in my 20s. And I, I broke some hearts that I'm really sorry about. And I made some, I intimidated some people I didn't mean to. And I, struggled to get a handle on white racism and to try to understand how I was playing into it. There are lots of things that I could have known more about or had more practice with, but I feel 
pleased with who I was. That sounds so narcissistic, yeah. but I feel uh, proud of her. Village, right? That people of all, only certain kind of, who have certain kind of resources economically or intellectually or whatever can really benefit or engage oh, uh, I was from like this. I wonder, is that something you've thought of? I learned about the notion of life as pilgrimage in the summer of 1976 when I spent the summer at Grailville and Nell Morton was one of the resource people. She was already working on ideas that later appeared in her book that was called The Journey is Home. Nell talked a lot about life as a journey. I don't know that she used the word pilgrimage. Because I took up changing religion in America as a goal, I knew it wasn't a place to arrive, but a process. I'm fairly process-oriented in the way that I go about my work in my life. And so it has all been pilgrimage. It has all been pilgrimage. And that lovely movie with Martin Sheen called The Way about the Camino in Spain, the, one of the famous pilgrimage paths, was such a good metaphor or example of pilgrimage. It's not, it's not where you're going that's not the destination that's important. It's all the things along the way. There are things for us to learn and share at every stage of life. And I am entering, some people would say I'm already there, an elder stage. Mm -hmm. And so the wisdom of these elder years are what I have to learn and what I have to share. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I've been working on a book um, for a number of years that appears in my calendar under the title Next. And I'm holding up something that the listeners can't see, but Sandra and Chris can, which is a little piece of muslin with That's the right. word Next um, drawn you know, on it and talk kind about, of decorated. Uh, I no longer remember where I made that. I don't know that it will be the title um, of the work, book, but it's a memoir work. about how I got to be. Once we do that, we can welcome the other the as they faith are. Or spiritual community. And it feels like just and doing I've, my own. What I do work know is that I've always been looking for what's the next sense. thing coming over the horizon. That and trying to aim my attention and, and the energy barriers. of the resource center in that direction. What are the holes? What's, what are other people not doing? And what's coming, for instance, what's coming now is that we have had a mandate for centuries, but we have such a clear one in this moment that white people have to address white racism and white supremacy. And we can't turn to our colleagues and friends who are people of color and say, mm -hmm. teach us, because People of color have been writing about what we need to be doing and talking about what we have been do need to be doing for centuries. So I, we are at the Resource Center for Women in Ministry in the South. We're trying to turn our attention and our energy towards that. Just yesterday, I read a 
um, op-ed piece, I think in the New York Times, saying when people of color are suffering, white people join book groups. So we can't just study. We have to figure out what to do. I was on another call last week about moving money, trying to get, figure out how to get white people and white institutions and foundations to move more money to black-led organizations and black-led social change organizations and bail funds. And so the, what's next is the next thing coming over the hill. Seems what's be, next is more life. Um, what's next is whatever okay with who yeah. you are and what you say. Uh, you're not expecting something to come back at you, which has been, you know, my right. struggle. Or you uh, make it up as you will go. the world uh, pull a punch. Yeah. And I've never seen you expecting a punch as transparent as you are. And so you're a real teacher in that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed being with both of you today. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Sandra. We want to thank all who've made this podcast a reality, including Wake Forest University Program for Leadership and Character for their financial and institutional support. Sally Ann Morris, who created our theme music, and Logan Greenhall, who's been a great website guru for us. Also, thanks to Eric Merle for his quality editing expertise. Special thanks to the Narrative Enneagram and our mentors, Helen Palmer and Dr. David Daniels, its founders. And of course, a big thank you to all of our guests. For more information about this podcast and how to get a copy of our book that serves as a companion for deepening personal and spiritual growth, visit heartoftheenneagram.com. And be sure to click the subscribe link so you don't miss an episode. In the days that lie ahead, may your mind be curious, your heart courageous, and your presence compassionate.